Welcome to the Preserving Family podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, everyone, we are so glad you're with us today. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support, your kind words, your emails. And we are all about preserving the family, which means to strengthen and fortify and edify. And in the case today, where we really want to go is how do we bring our families, specifically our children, to Christ? Yeah, and we've been talking about this topic, wanting to do this topic for a while, and we heard that incredible talk by Jan Newman in General Conference that kind of just embraced all of our thoughts and feelings <laughs> into one talk. Right. So today we're going to be talking a lot about taking points and things from his talk in the October 2023 conference, but um, it's called Preserving the Voice of the Covenant People in the Rising Generation, and it's basically teaching our little ones come to come unto Christ. <laughs> so, and, and our big ones, right? And our big ones and ourselves. So I love how he starts off this talk and he says, one of the most touching moments in the Book of Mormon is the resurrected Savior's visit to the people of the temple in the land of Bountiful, which we know is like the pinnacle story of the Book of Mormon, right? It's just right in the middle. This is the highlight, yeah. It's probably everyone's favorite. <laughs> but after a day of teaching, healing, and building faith, Jesus directed the people's attention to the rising generation. He commanded that their little children should be brought. He prayed for them and blessed them one by one. The experience was so moving that the Savior himself wept multiple times. Then speaking to the multitude, Jesus said, Behold your little ones. And as they looked, they saw the heavens open, and they saw angels descending out of heaven, ministering to their children. I have often thought, he said, about this experience. It must have melted every person's heart. They saw the Savior. They felt him. They knew him. He taught them. He blessed them. And he loved them. It's no wonder that after the sacred event, these, children's gr- these children grew up to help establish a society of peace, prosperity, and Christ-like love that lasted for generations. Wouldn't it be wonderful, Brother Elder Newman said, if our children could have experiences like that with Jesus Christ, something that would bind their hearts to him? He invites us, as directed, and it, or invited those parents in the Book of Mormon to bring our little ones to him. We can help them know their Savior and Redeemer the way these children did. We can help show them how to find the Savior in the scriptures and build their foundations on him. I love that. And Janie, one of the things I was thinking as you you shared that part of this talk where he said that, you know, it's no wonder that after this sacred event, Christ's visit, you know, to these wonderful Nephite people, that the children grew up to help establish a society of peace, you know, prosperity that lasted for generations. I... I've always thought this way, but when Jesus takes the time in 3 Nephi chapter 11 to show himself, right? To show himself to the Nephites, to let them come up and touch the wounds and to spend time with them. And we always think of, sometimes we get caught up in how how long would that have taken for, for 2,500 people to come up and and touch the wounds of Christ and to have some kind of, dialogue with him i just can't imagine jesus saying okay everyone take a quick look and get moving get moving got to keep this line going i'm sure he's having these connecting moments with everyone who walks through 
And this takes hours, right? It takes a whole day. But you wonder, you know, what was the impact of that? What's the impact of being so influenced by Christ and his love and his concern and care for an individual? And I think the answer is in 4th Nephi, just as Brother Newman kind of points us to that. You know, this society of peace, prosperity. You know, you look at 4th Nephi, and we, we, you know, we learn a few things. Number one, they had all things in common. And they're partakers of the heavenly gift. That's a great thing to study of what the heavenly gift is. We know that they're healing the sick. They're raising the dead. They're, you know, just miracles, right? There's miracles everywhere. They're prospering. Uh, and they're, they're having children. They're marrying. But it's like this utopian society with a so Zion, much A Zion-like society. Yeah, this Zion-like society where there's love and there's healing and there's care and there's concern. And everyone was converted, it says. Every person, and there's the key right there. Why was everyone converted? They felt the love of the Savior. And I think, uh, anyway, I love where Brother Newman's taking us because I think it's so significant that in 4th Nephi, we see the evidence, what happens when you bring someone to Christ. Then they become like him. Well, and I love that this went on for four generations almost four generations where they taught their children and they taught their children and this peace and love and joy, you know, was passed down and taught until obviously until we got to the fourth generation and they started falling away. But that to me, that's a miracle. That's a miracle that this wasn't just these people that were there and experienced that, that they, they taught it so powerfully to their children and their grandchildren and their great grandchildren, you know, that it was all their lives were changed. Yeah, wow. That's power. Christ-like power. You know, Janie, another I thought was a great insight from Brother Newman was the insight that he shared of, you know, the wise man who built his house on the rock in the New Testament. And I've often shared that that account in my classes, and I always use the Matthew 7 account. I've never really used the Luke 6 account, and it was such a great insight to see that phrase that the, this man built his house and dig deep, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. But I want to go to Luke six forty six for a second. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? President Kimball used to say that, you know, at the end of a general conference that we love to say Lord, Lord, but don't we don't do much about that. And I think he was really referring to we love to sing, we thank thee, O God, for a prophet. We love that we have prophets. We just don't follow prophets that well. And then in verse 47, And whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and do them not, I will show you to whom he is like. Now let's talk about that for just a second. He that heareth my sayings and doeth them. What are my sayings? My sayings are the teachings of Christ. That's the doctrine of Christ. It's the word of God. What's the word of God? Super simple. Ready? Well, it's the scriptures and it's the words of our living prophets and it's the spirit that speaks to us. That's his word. And so now when you think of it that way, how often do we receive revelation? Do we read something in the scriptures? Do we hear one of our living prophets speak? And we say to ourselves, that's such a great idea. Yeah, I should probably do that. And then we don't even respond to the prompting or we don't respond to what the scripture teaches or what the prophet's saying. And Jesus in this parable says that if we hear the sayings and do them, 
We are like the man who built his house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And then when the floods rose and the stream beat beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Now, let me just do 49 really quick. But when we hear the sayings and don't do them, and by the way, what are the sayings? The teachings, it's his word. And so now this is all of us. Christ is talking to his followers, his disciples. And for those of us that hear the word and don't respond, we're building on a sandy foundation. And in this case, it says the house fell and the ruin of that house was great. Boy, and we see that so much today, right? That we feel like every time I'm turning around, I'm hearing somebody who's falling away. And all mm. I can think of is they don't, they don't have that foundation. They, don't, they aren't truly converted. Their house is not built on Jesus Christ. You know, it's maybe built on weird things they hear or things that they assume the prophets have said that they don't like or whatever. And that's shaky ground and they wash away. Right. You know, Mark, this that story reminds me. I mean, I, you know, loving that song all through primary and <laughs> teaching primary all through the years and teaching our children. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it... It really kind of came to life this summer. We, you and I had gone out to visit our kids in California in Oceanside. And we spent one day on the beach, like, the gosh, entire day. like nine to nine or something. <laughs> we were there all day. It was a wonderful day. But our kid, our grandchildren, there were six of them and they decided to dig this hole. We got digging hole. We were building sandcastles and we were digging holes, you know, just all the fun things that you do at the beach all day. Right. Well, they started digging this hole that was literally... You could probably, I could probably, I mean, I'm 5'7", I could probably lay down in it, you know, all the way across, all the way across and stand up in it. Like, it was a deep hole. Right. And all day long, like, we were kind of helping on and off, their mom and dad were helping on, on and off, but these kids were just digging, digging all day long. <laughs> and with little plastic shovels and, and little hand spades and buckets cups, and cups yeah. and whatever. Forks, knives, spoons. And they were running back and forth from the water and getting shells and rocks and anyway so they created this little house I, I love how kids minds work but they created this cute little house with they you know called it little they had little rooms and they had little shelves for their cups and their hot dogs and it was so cute and i'll never forget that fun day but they worked their tails off all day long like they were just working working building and when you think this of this hole. idea of digging deep, yeah, how much effort it must oh have taken goodness. to dig deep, it was right? Just, and it took a whole crew. You know, they were just digging. Mm -hmm. And then when we left that night, our little seven-year-old granddaughter was just teary and sobbing. And we were like, honey, what is wrong? And she said, I worked so hard on that. I don't want to leave it. <laughs> yeah, <she laughs> And did. it just reminds me so much of what he's talking about here is when we dig deep to find the Savior in our life, to gain our testimony, to build our foundation on the Savior, you know, that it means so much to us that like our little seven-year-old, when she was digging that hole, <laughs> it meant so much to her because she had put so much time, effort, and energy. And I think when we have the Spirit in our life, when the Spirit bears testimony to each of us personally, that Jesus is the Christ, that we have opportunities to feel him, to see his miracles, to partake of the sacrament, to feel him in the temple, all those things where we can physically feel him and touch him like the people in third Nephi did where they physically handled him. Right. All those experiences become that foundation where we cannot be moved, you know? And I yeah. think 
I just thought that was a great visual that we had this summer. Of what it really means to dig deep. To dig deep. Yeah. And, you know, in any, any kind of metaphor like that, I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, digging post holes, you know, for our fence. And that was the thing. You wanted to go deep. The deeper you went, the more sturdy the post was going to be, right? The deeper the roots on the tree, the more sturdy the tree's going to be. I just think in this era, people just want cheap grace, right? They just want a God that just pats them on the head. You know, they don't understand that anything good in life takes work, that we have to work hard to develop that relationship with our Heavenly Father, to develop those roots. Yeah. And it reminds me of that stake president, uh, President uh, Jones in Plano, Texas, who once told me that it was his feeling that the reason why... We have members of the church that just aren't really deeply converted to the gospel is because to become converted takes effort and energy and work. And he said, I frankly just don't see a lot of people anymore that are willing to pay the price to dig in like that. And I thought that was a great insight. It does take work and it does take effort to come to know the Savior. We have to want that more than we almost want anything else. Yeah. And this just doesn't happen. And it our testimonies don't just happen, and it's definitely not just passed on to the next generation. You know, I mean, automatically, I, we, yeah, we've seen so many people in our lives who are incredible parents and incredible people, right? That we just admire so much, but their kids are not in the church anymore. They're not strong in the gospel, and you're just like, what happened? Where did the disconnect come from? And so, I think we as parents have to be really, really vigilant to, like these these parents in the scriptures in that generation to pass our testimonies and our faith in Jesus Christ on to our children. Right. Because the culture that we live in today is so toxic and so horrible that we're going to have to put all energy into this if we're going to help our kids be anchored, anchored to the Savior. Right. And so, you know, I love in Helaman chapter five, verse 12, that remember that it's upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that you must build your foundation. And when the devil shall send... His mighty winds, we have a lot of mighty winds today, and his shafts in the whirlwind, and with all of his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you. It shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of ministry, misery and endless woe because you're built on the rock. I'm just summarizing here. But if you go back for a minute, I always feel like the one of the key words or phrases in this verse is the word, not if, but it's when, when the devil shall send forth, you know, when the mighty storm comes, when, I mean, we know that we're going to have those challenges in life. And here's, here's what uh, Brother Newman said about this verse. He said, to build our lives on the rock of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, we need to dig deep. We remove anything that is sandy in our lives to keep digging until we find him. And we teach our children to bind themselves to him through sacred ordinances and covenants so that when those oppositional storms and floods come, as they surely will, they'll have little effect upon them because basically they're built on the rock. Now, let's talk about that just for a minute. But what does he mean when he says that we should remove anything that is sandy or superfluous, which is unnecessary, unneeded, things in the way? Yeah. And what, what are those things? I think we each need to look at those things, right? What are the and superfluous things in our, the, the extra, the unnecessary, the, the sandy things in our life. I like, I like thinking about it that way. When I'm thinking about building our foundation, 
what is the sandy things that get in the way? <laughs> right. And I'm sure for all of us, those could be very different yeah. things, right? Brother Newman says this kind of strength doesn't just happen. It is not passed on to the next generation like a spiritual inheritance. Hmm. Each person must dig deep to find the rock. And then he goes on to talk about King Benjamin and that great story where when he gave that great sermon and everybody again was converted unto the Lord, except for the little children who couldn't understand what was going on. And then when they grew up, there were many in that rising generation who didn't understand the words of King Benjamin being little children at the time he spake unto his people. And they did not believe the tradition of their fathers. They did not believe what had been said concerning the resurrection of the dead. Neither did they believe concerning the coming of Christ. And they would not be baptized. Neither would they join the church. And they were a separate people as to their faith. And wow, that's so sad because their parents were such faithful, wonderful people. And then these younger children just didn't, it didn't get passed on somehow. <laughs> right. You know, Janie, I, I love that verse. And one of the things I want to uh, just kind of spend a little bit more time on is in verse three that you just read, where it talks about their unbelief and they could not understand the word of God. The key here is understanding. And in the church, we give a, a lot of information, right? We teach a lot of great principles. But if those that we're teaching don't understand, meaning it, meaning it, it needs to penetrate their hearts. If anyone out there listening wants to study an incredible talk, just Google Teach Them to Understand by Elder Bednar. Because what he's going to talk about is that if, if we're teaching wonderful lessons and sharing wonderful doctrines, but it's not penetrating their hearts then they're not going to understand and they're not going to believe and they're not going to be converted. You know, we want them to be deeply converted. Anyone to be deeply converted, it has to penetrate the heart. You know, this reminds me of another great cross-reference to that, those verses, Janie, you just read, that in 3 Nephi chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, where we're talking about a righteous group of Lamanites, but it tells us that they had many children who grew up and waxed strong in years, but they became for themselves. And thus were the Lamanites afflicted also and began to decrease as to their faith and righteousness. Why? Because of the wickedness of the rising generation. Wow. Or in other words, did these parents decrease in their faith and righteousness because of the wickedness of their children? And that's a pattern that we see a lot today, right? Where children are stepping away and walking away, leaving the church and they're their their parents are following following after right them. after them instead of like you talked about before Janie holding on to the tree one hand onto the tree and one hand reaching out for our children so to speak yeah and Elder Holland kind of tells us the same thing I love this quote from a talk he gave way back in 1981 <laughs> called yeah. um, that our children may know but it's really powerful he said a simple reminder that this church is always only one generation away from extinction. That does not change, however, many de decades old we are now. It was true in 1840, it was true in 1891, and it's true in 1981. Now we can see we ought to say, and it's true in 2023, And it's true right? in 2023. <laughs> yeah. We are always just one generation away from extinction. All we would have to do, I assume, to destroy this work is to stop teaching our children for one generation. Just everybody stop, close the book, seal up your heart, shut your mouth, and don't bear a testimony. In one generation, it would be 1820 all over again. 
Wow, that's a frightening thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing just that you stop the flow of, of that teaching and that inspiring and that edifying what, what would happen. We'd be in an apostasy. Okay, so we've been talking about the why of all this, right? So let's talk about now, what do we as parents need to do to pass this on to our generation, to pass the torch, to teach our children, to inspire them, to, to, lead, to them, lead them unto Christ? To lead them to Christ, yeah. <laughs> and of our one of my favorite scriptures, I think, that we've all heard before, 2 Nephi 25, 26, we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ. And we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for remission of their sins. And I love that. And like Brother Newman says, Nephi's words imply a constant, ongoing effort to teach our children about Christ. It's not just a Sunday topic only. I love how he said that. <laughs> yeah. And he says, we aren't silent. Covenant people aren't silent. We have to open our mouths. We have to teach we have to preach. We have to write. We have to do all this so that our children may know who to look for, who to look towards for admission of their sins, for strength. hope, for strength, for Power. everything in their life. Right. You know, so Janie, let's call that number one, right? From Brother Newman's talk, number one is if we're going to lead our children to Christ, we've got to talk about him. He's got to be part of our lives. He's got to be, uh, the Savior has to be something that we express our feelings on him on a regular basis. We have our to children... bear testimony. We have to... <laughs> right. But our children need to know about the Savior. They need to know that their parents are actual Christians who really do believe in this stuff and who know the Savior. This reminds me, Janie, a little bit about one of my favorite general conference talks from years ago, Elder Neil Anderson's Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, given in 2010. And obviously, we won't sit here and read the whole talk to you, but there's a couple little parts I want to share. He said, In their own loneliness do our children know the loneliness the Savior felt as his friends deserted him, and as he asked his apostles, Will you also go away? Have our children felt the power of the Savior's miracles? Jesus healed the leper, gave sight to the blind, he fed 5,000, calmed the sea, and raised Lazarus from the dead. Do our children believe? that it is by faith that miracles are wrought, and do they pray for miracles in their own lives? Have our children taken, taken courage from the Savior's words to the ruler of the synagogue? Be not afraid, only believe. And do they anticipate his majestic return, when all will be made right, and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ? Do our children say, tell me the stories of Jesus I love to hear? And then to the youth, Elder Anderson said, live up to your important responsibilities and great spiritual capacities. Seek to know more about Jesus. Open the scriptures. One idea would be to read again the book of John and then discuss it with your parents, teachers, and each other. And by the way, that's a great example right there of how an apostle just gave an invitation. And I'm not sure how many of us locked onto it and said, okay, I'm going to go home and read the book of John. But then this for all of us to fathers and mothers, to grandfathers and grandmothers, and to those without children of their own who lovingly nurture children and youth. My counsel is to speak more frequently about Jesus Christ. In his holy name is great spiritual power, because there is no other name given, nor any other way whereby salvation can come into the children of men only in and through the name of Christ. Now there's so much more to that talk, but we just want to emphasize point number one, 
is that if we want to lead our children to Christ, we have to talk about him. We have to talk about the Savior, and we have to talk about him often. I love the second principle that we've kind of identified from this talk. And he says, the voice of the covenant people is found in our own words of testimony. Mm. It is found in the words of living prophets, and it is preserved powerfully in the scriptures. It is there that our children will come to know Jesus and find answers to their questions. It is there that they will learn themselves the doctrine of Christ, and it is there that they will find hope. And I love that. I love the whole idea that we, as their parents, need to open our mouths, and grandparents, right. open our mouths and bear testimony to our children. You know, sometimes in testimony meetings, it makes me really uncomfortable, I have to admit, when people get up and say, hey, I just need felt like I need to get up and bear my testimony to my kids today because I haven't been up here in a long time. Or... Mm. They haven't heard, they've never heard me share, my, share testimony. my testimony and I need to get up. And I'm like, ooh, it just makes me wince inside <laughs> because I'm like, wow, that's so sad because you could do that tonight at family home evening. You could do that in family council. You should be doing that <laughs> casually all the time. Like, shouldn't we be constantly talking about the Savior and bearing testimony or sharing our experiences with him, with our children all the time and not just once in a blue moon in testimony meeting. Well, I, I remember Janie once I was in a, in a sacrament meeting and the father stood up and said, my message is for my children. And so he kind of looked over where his children were sitting and gave the talk and he never looked at anyone else. But I thought, well, you could have done that at home. That's yeah. kind of what home is for, right? Yeah, that is what our homes are for. <laughs> um, Elder Bednar kind of echoes what we're talking about. He said, Brethren and sisters, when was the last time you bore testimony to your eternal companion? Parents, when was the last time you declared your witness to your children about the things that you know to be true? And children, when was the last time you shared your testimony with your parents and family? Each of us, is, each of us already knows that we should bear testimony to the people that we love the most. But what we know is not always reflected in what we do. We may feel unsure, awkward, or even perhaps a bit embarrassed. But that's why we do this in the home, right? It doesn't have to be public. It has. It should be at home where we feel comfortable with those that we love, that we right. can openly share and talk about the Savior. Some of my favorite little meetings that we had when our children were younger was were our own testimony meetings in our house. And I've loved those as our family's gotten older, doing those things. And I would say, I don't think we do those enough. But testimonies don't have to be formal. And I think sometimes that... Formality scares us away a little bit. I know that I used to sit with our young men around the campfire on high adventures, and I would say, look, every one of you has something that you could share that you learned on this high adventure, that you learned up in the mountains, that we learned the last few days. And you don't even have to say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, if you don't want to. But what's just a principle? Or I want to bear my testimony. It doesn't even have to be that formal. <laughs> right, right. And I think a lot of us have things that we come to know or feel passionate or strongly about that lead us to the Savior. Now, here's Elder Von J. Featherstone, one of my favorites, in a great talk at BYU called Things Too Wonderful for Me. But he said, we are true disciples of Christ, and we ought to testify every day in every Latter-day Saint home to our wives, husbands, siblings, and children. These are the people we should love the most on this earth. These are those we want to know the truth of this mighty work. And opportunities will come at school and work and in the community to testify to our friends and neighbors, not of our faith, in a humble and sweet way, as well as to testify to each other and build greater faith. For example, a son may say to us, I sure think President Hinckley, now we could say President Nelson is a good man. And we could say as parents, yep, he's great. 
But what if we instead said, Son, I know that he's a prophet of God, a seer, and a revelator. In fact, he may be one of the greatest prophets who's ever lived. And then Elder Featherstone said, Can you see the difference and can you feel it? A daughter might say, We have a nice bishop. And we could say, Yep, he sure is. But what if we took this opportunity to say, Sweetheart, he was called by God by revelation. He has the mantle upon him. And he's guided by inspiration in his calling. And then Elder Featherstone said, Children need to hear their parents testify. And even siblings can strengthen each other. And their friends can be lifted spiritually. I just think that's so powerful. And it's something that we would recommend to everyone because that could change the culture and the spirit in a home so quickly. Okay, so number three that we've kind of identified from Brother Newman, yeah. Yes, from Brother Newman, is where can we go to hear him? Where do we go to hear the Savior, to learn about him, to study his life, what his attributes are, and what he is? We go to the scriptures Mm. every time. (laughs) Amen. Daily immersion in the Word of God is crucial for spiritual survival, especially in these days of increasing upheaval. As we feast on the words of Christ daily, the words of Christ will tell us how to respond to difficulties we never thought that we would face. Mm. And I think each one of us can testify of that, right? That we, there's things in our life, maybe that haven't even happened yet or will Mm -hmm. happen that we never, ever dreamed of. And how do we get through that? Again, that solid foundation in Jesus Christ. I think that no question about it, that, that if we want to lead our children to Christ or help them point them to Christ, if we want to help point them that way, that we've got to turn them to the scriptures so they can read about his life, his teachings, his ministry, the way he handled uh, so many things. You know, years ago, the church did a study among our youth, and they identified four gospel outcomes. They identified serving a mission, marriage in the temple, ordination to the Melchizedek priesthood, and then, of course, being endowed in the temple, receiving their endowment. And then the next question was, okay, what led to those outcomes? Was it seminary? Was it youth conferences? Was it EFY? I mean, what was it that led our youth to those outcomes more than anything else? And maybe not surprising for some, but it was personal prayer and personal scripture study. The correlation was like 90%, which is incredible. If anyone knows something about statistics, you'll know that a 90% correlation is quite rare, but it was such a powerful correlation. And then the next question became, okay, well, then how do we get our youth to be in the scriptures and praying on their own privately? And the correlation was also just almost as strong. And that was if they had family prayer and family scripture study. And so there are some great answers of where we could be spending time with our youth, helping them get into those scriptures that will lead to those outcomes. You know, and of course, one of the ways or places that this can start is just in our own homes and our own families with our own family scripture study. Yeah, and in that family scripture study, let's point our children to Christ. I think there's so many principles of the gospel and scripture stories and commandments and different doctrines, right? And that programs. Programs and... that we, I think it can be overwhelming. Right. But I think with every single thing that we teach, no matter what we're teaching, which is, this is out of his footnote that I love. It says, so no matter what you're teaching, remember that you are really teaching about Jesus Christ and how to become like him. So if we're teaching about honesty, let's, let's teach him how Jesus Christ was honest, you know, teach them. Right. If we're talking about the priesthood, let's talk, let's talk about 
priesthood authority and how it relates to Jesus Christ. If we're talking mm. about temples, mm. let's teach them how all things in the temple point to Jesus Christ, you know? So no matter what we're teaching, let's tie it back to, to, to Jesus. Right. I love that, Janie. In fact, that reminds me of the great, great talk that we can refer everyone to, the very root of Christian doctrine given by Thomas B. Griffith at a BYU devotional years ago. He quoted Elder Boyd K. Packer, who said that the atonement of Christ is the very root of Christian doctrine. Now, there's more. Well, I'll just read it. He says, you may, you may know much about the gospel as its branches out from there, but if you only know the branches and those branches do not touch that root, if they have been cut from that truth, there will be no life or substance nor redemption in them. I think that's such a great a great concept and, and doctrine. And then uh, Brother Griffith says, I will confess to you that I have participated in indeed and I have taught many lessons that although interesting and motivational, according to Elder Packer's guide, had no life or substance, no redemption in them because they weren't directly linked to the atonement of Christ. That's a serious criticism of much of what we do, and I believe it's on the mark. I believe the one way, the best way, and possibly the only way to meet President Hinckley's challenge to do better at getting the gospel down into our hearts and the hearts of those we love and serve is to focus all we do on the atonement of Christ. And so as a newly called stake presidency, we try to do just that. Then Brother Griffin explained that we lay down a rule that every sacrament meeting talk and every lesson in Sunday school, Relief Society, and priesthood meetings must be related to the atonement of Christ in a direct and express way. Our goal was to have our meetings filled with the life and substance and redemption by having them connected to the very root of Christian doctrine, which we know is the atonement of Christ. We told the bishops that if they wanted a sacrament meeting about the principles of, an, of emergency preparation, important principles to be sure, that meeting would be about emergency preparation and the atonement of Christ. Wow. Don't you like that? Mm -hmm. And he says, and if you cannot figure out the link between the topic you are to teach and the atonement of Christ, you have either not thought about it enough or you shouldn't be talking about it in church. <laughs> anyway, and I think that's great. I mean, that's... Kind of goes with the same thing, right? That all... Everything that we should be saying, we should be talking of Christ, rejoicing in Christ, preaching of Christ, writing of Christ, <laughs> testifying, of, testifying Christ. of Christ, that our children may know. Exactly. Once again, that's where the power is. Mark, that reminds me of a, a story that we heard years ago, but also I just reheard it this week. Is that, was that a word? Reheard it? Re-listened? <laughs> you heard it I again. Heard, I heard it again this week. Um, on a podcast, but it just totally reminded me that I think it goes along with this. But this was Boyd K. Packer told of a herd of deer that because of the heavy snowfall had been trapped outside its natural habitat and faced possible starvations. Some well-meaning people in an effort to save the deer dumped truckloads of hay around the area. And it wasn't what deer would normally eat, but they had hoped that it would at least get the deer through the winter but sadly, most of the deer were later found dead. They had eaten the hay, but it did not nourish them, and they starved to death with their stomachs full. Many of the messages that bombard us in the information age are spiritual equivalent of feeding hay to deer. We can eat it all day long, but it will never nourish us. Right. And I feel like sometimes, you know, sometimes we go to church and we come home just so uninspired. You know, we're handed all this information, we're taught, but we don't, we're not nourished. And I think we need to be really careful that we, our kids aren't just getting a bunch of hay all the time, that they're really getting the nourishment, the, the real 
doctrine, the real the real substance, the real substance of what they need, which 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 is from, the atonement of Jesus Christ and right. His life, His teachings. Yeah, it's the center point of, and, and the focal point of everything, in the gospel, for sure, no question about it. I really like point number four that we hmm. we kind of identified as point number four from this talk, but he said. The, the accumulation of small, simple efforts repeatedly consistent over time can be more powerful and strengthening than an occasional monumental moment or landmark lesson. So don't give up and don't worry about accomplishing something grand every time. Just be consistent in your efforts. And I know we've talked about this before that I'm a huge believer in that is just a little bit better, a little bit more every time. Consistency just drop by drop. Just like the analogy of the 10 virgins, right? Mm -hmm. Those little tiny drops of oil start to add up and accumulate. And that's that's where you form your testimony and get your oil for your lamp. Right. It's not just one big, huge flood of, of enlightenment or a grand lesson. It's in the drop by drop daily small things that we do with our children. Daily gospel living, right? That reminds me, Janie, of something that Elder Bednar taught years ago in his talk more diligent and concerned at home. I've always loved this. Suggestion number three, be consistent. As our sons were growing up, our family did what you have done and what you now do. We had regular family prayer, scripture study, and family home evening. Now, I am sure what I am about to describe has never occurred in your home, but it certainly did in ours. Sometimes Sister Bednar and I wondered if our efforts to do these spiritually essential things were worthwhile. Now and then verses of scripture were read amid outbursts such as, He's touching me. Make him stop looking at me. Mom, he's breathing my air. It must have happened in your home if you're laughing. Sincere prayers occasionally were interrupted with giggling and poking. And with active, rambunctious boys, family home evening lessons did not always produce high levels of edification. At times, Sister Bednar and I were exasperated because the righteous habits we worked so hard to foster did not seem to yield immediately the spiritual results we wanted and expected. Today, if you could ask our adult sons what they remember about family prayer, scripture study, and family home evening, I believe I know how they would answer. They likely would not identify a particular prayer or a specific instance of scripture study or an especially meaningful family home evening lesson as the defining moment in their spiritual development. What they would say they remember is that as a family, we were consistent. I love how passionate and how emotional Elder Bednar became as he talked about that consistency because I think he understood at that point in his life with grown-up sons now of what a difference that made in their conversion and their testimonies, that consistency is so crucial to lead our, our young men and young women to the Savior. Okay, point number five is Brother Newman talks about that 
One of our most sacred responsibilities is to help our children come to know deeply and specifically that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and their personal Savior and Redeemer. Mm. Yeah. And and I think we all know that, but I think in this crazy busy world that we just get so busy, you know, just putting food on the table. Writing our kids to every... Every event. We're getting them to soccer and getting them to piano lessons and having them practice at home and, you know, times that by amount, the amount of children you have. and Throw in a few church responsibilities right, and, and I coaching think sometimes, the team. Or... Yeah, we just lose sight that that is our most sacred responsibility is to bring our children to Jesus Christ. That's like the... The prime function of every parent. You bet. So that reminds me of a talk that Linda Reeves gave years ago. And she was a counselor in in the General Relief Society presidency. But I've just never forgotten this talk. She said that they were overwhelmed raising their children when they were little. And she says... She and her husband were. She and her husband. Completely overwhelmed, yeah. I think a lot of us can relate to that, right? Yeah. As we face the challenges of parenting and keeping up with the demands of life, we were desperate for help. We prayed and pleaded to know what to do. The answer that came was clear. It is okay if the house is a mess and the children are still in their pajamas and some responsibilities are left undone. The only things that really need to be accomplished in the home are daily scripture study and prayer and weekly family home evening. Mm. Wow, what an answer. Yeah. She said, we were trying to do these things, but they were not always the priority. And amidst, amidst the chaos, we're sometimes neglected. We changed our focus and tried not to worry about the less important things. Our focus became to talk, to rejoice, to preach, and testify of Christ by striving to daily pray and study the scriptures and have family week- and weekly family home evening. A friend recently cautioned, when you ask the sisters to read the scriptures and pray more, it stresses them out. They really feel like they have so much to do already. Brothers and sisters, because I know from my own experience and those of my husband, I must testify of the blessings of daily scripture study and prayer and weekly family home evening. These are the very practices that help take stress away, that give direction to our lives and add protection to our homes. Then, if pornography or other challenges do strike our families, we can petition the Lord for help and expect great guidance from the Spirit, knowing that we have done what our Heavenly Father has asked us to do. Brothers and sisters, if these have not been practiced in our homes, we can all begin now. If our children are older and refuse to join us, we can start with ourselves. <laughs> As we do, the influence of the Spirit will begin to fill our homes and our lives, and over time, our children may respond. That's so good. One last final thought, and it doesn't really come from Brother Newman's message, but as we think of leading our children to Christ... One of the greatest things I think parents can do is be examples of Christ, right? To, to live a Christ-like life the best that we can. It's not, only, it's not always easy. In fact, it's never easy. The journey to become like the Savior is very difficult, but it's something that we should all be striving for. I love something my good friend Randall Wright said years ago that teenagers can smell a hypocrite a mile away, and I think that's really true. One of the things that we have to do if we want our children to be led to the Savior is to model Christ-like behavior, Christ-like attributes, and really show our children how the church and the gospel and the Savior himself has blessed our lives. And I think that if we, as we live our lives in that way and they see the difference that Christ and the gospel makes for us, that, that will be something hopefully that they'll want for themselves. 
So in closing, let's read this final quote by Brother Newman. He said, my dear friends in Christ, you are doing much better than you think. Just keep working at it. Your children are watching, listening, and learning. As you teach them, you will come to know their true nature as beloved sons and daughters of God. They may forget the Savior for a season, but I promise you he will never forget them. Those moments when the Holy Ghost speaks to them will persist in their hearts and minds. And one day your children will echo the testimony of Enos. I know my parents are just, for they taught me in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and blessed be the name of my God for it. And I love that as our children hear us, drop by drop, daily, sharing our testimonies of the the Savior, that even if they do stray for a while, I love how he says that they might forget the Savior for a while, but he will never forget them. Mm. And one day when they do come to themselves, that they will remember the words that their parents have taught them. Just like Enos did, just like Alma the Younger did, the sons of Mosiah, that they will remember the words that their parents have taught them and they will come back. Yeah. Love that promise. We're so grateful to have the gospel in our lives. We're so grateful for the knowledge that we have of of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to instill that in our children and our grandchildren. Right. I love it. Well, when you said, Janie, that grandchildren, it just made me think of one of my favorites, Elder Neil A. Maxwell, and you, you know how much I loved him. But I remember a story I heard uh, years ago, and I'm sure, I think it was in a conference talk where he mentioned going to one of his children's home later in the evening. And when he knocked on the door and his, and his son or daughter opened it, I don't remember all the details of this, but this son or daughter announced to the whole family the kids were already in bed. So Elder Maxwell's grandchildren would have been in bed. And uh, the father called out, or the mother, Hi, Hey, kids, come out of bed really quick. Grandpa Neil is here. And then one of the grandsons said, Should, should we bring our scriptures? <laughs> you know, what a great you know, legacy that Elder Mac- Maxwell must have left, that those grandkids knew that if Grandpa Neil's around, you're going to hear something about the gospel from, from Grandpa Neil. So grandparents, you can make a difference too, just as much as parents can. What a great influence we can be. So for Let's Do Something, LDS, Let's Do Something, one of the invitations we would share with you today is let's think of ways that we all, and Janie and I, let's include ourselves in this, can talk, a, to, can talk and testify more of the Savior in our lives when we're around our families, to bring Christ in our homes more. And everyone can receive their own inspiration on on how to do that very thing. And there's great joy. This shouldn't be burdensome. There's great joy in thinking that way and trying to incorporate the Savior more in our lives and in the very things that we do every day. Well, everyone, thank you so much for being with us uh, this time. We really enjoyed it. We're thankful to Brother Jan Newman for the incredible talk he gave in conference that really inspired us to dig deep like he referenced and, and dig into this talk because it was so powerful and it really, it, I, I've learned a lot and I think I, I need to do a lot. <laughs> well, I think Janie, I think we would say by way of our own testimony that we have been so edified by every general conference and especially the opportunity to go back and read and study those talks after they come. And I'm, I'm grateful for that now that you are too. We always enjoy our time with you and we look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, Have a wonderful, awesome day.